Welcome to the Rumble Podcast. Here at Rumble, we are a catalyst and a movement that exists to reach men, connect them to Jesus, and equip them to live as kingdom men. In this episode, we're going to our 2021 regular Joe's Conference. This takes place every year in November, and our theme is based around Acts 4.13, how the people looked at Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were regular Joes, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. We want you to sit back, relax, and let this speak to your heart. Hey everyone, it's good to see you all. I hope you're doing well. Um, I know um, it's been a good morning so far. Um, apologies. Um, that uh, you have to listen to me for another half an hour, 45 minutes before you get your lunch. Um, but um, we're gonna, I'm going to share some thoughts and hopefully we're going to have some worship and maybe some time to respond. Before we do that, I'd love to do a little bit of an icebreaker, um, uh, sort of a little bit of dark kind of humor here. Um, but if you've got a phone, um, would you take it out now? Like if you've got a smartphone um, with, you know, like a calculator on it, um, so take it out and, and go, go to your calculator. Uh, on on your phone. Uh, if if you don't have one, don't worry. You can get the person beside you to do it if you'd like. I want you to. Uh, we're going. We're going to. Um, we're going to um, go on the assumption that all of us are going to live to around eighty years old. Okay. So that's uh, that's just average it out there. Okay. Um, and I want you to work out how many years did you have left to live until you're eighty. If if you're if you're over eighty, just go to ninety. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> All right, so just uh, work out how, how many years you've got left between now and being 80. All right? So if it's 20 years, if it's 18 years, if it's 30 years, okay? And then on, on your calculator, I want you to multiply that by 365, okay? The amount of days that are in a year, okay? So multiply how many years you've got left between now and 80 by 365, We'll, uh, we'll not count the leap years, all right? <laughs> For those of you who are grasping the straws, you can, if you'd like. Um, that would be 366. And just take a little look at what number you get, okay? And it'll all become clear when we read from the Bible in a moment, right? Just take a little mental note of, if you were to live to 80, how many days you have left to live? All right? Great, and then we turn our minds to Holy Scripture, okay? Um, we're going to read from Psalm 90, okay? And then um, I'm going to share some thoughts on it. I think it's on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can on your phone or try not to look at the football scores <clears throat> or the Lord might strike you down. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I won't do that. He's not like that. Psalm, Psalm 90, great Psalm, and this is what it says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn, back to, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight, or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. 
You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away. They quickly pass and we fly away. If we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your children, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a wonderful psalm. Uh, At the top of my Bible, at the top of this psalm, it might say the same in your Bible, it probably does, it tells us that this is a psalm of Moses's, which is interesting, because most of the psalms are written by David and then by other Israelites. And so whether Moses actually literally wrote this prayer and it was carried down through, or whether it was a tribute to Moses, we're probably not fully sure. But it has Moses' name attached to it. Um, most of the psalms were probably written, or at least at the very least compiled, probably, in the time of exile, as the children of Israel basically needed to remember who they were and what their story was. And so the Psalms are basically Israel's hymn book. They are Israel's mission praise, if you like, for those of you who remember mission praise, number 81. It only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? And all of those wonderful other hymns. But this was the Israelites' uh, hymn book, the book of the Psalms. And um, and, but, but, but being attributed to Moses, it probably took the Israelites in their imaginations back to the time when Moses lived. And to the time when Moses became that man who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and out of slavery into and towards the promised land. But that bit in, the, in between in the wilderness didn't go so well. And this would have served the Israelites well to remember this, because as some of these verses read uh, throughout the first half of Psalm 90, it talks quite a bit about the wrath of God and the things that they had done wrong and their secret sins and how they had angered God. And the Israelites would have read this psalm to remind them of their rebellion and not just actually the rebellion of their time in the the wilderness, but throughout their history. And so it's it's a stark reminder, if you like, to the current generation who would have been reading this psalm and to us today as we continue to read the ancient wisdom from these scriptures of the consequences that come with not choosing God's plan and God's good purposes for our lives, what happens to us and how life ends up being like something that we ask the question, what's the point? We come from the dust, as it said, and we return to the dust. We end up going out with simply a moan because the children of Israel, particularly the ones in the wilderness, as you know, didn't get into the promised land. They didn't fulfill the destiny that God had for them. We often talk about it around here as, Egypt was the land of not enough, the wilderness was the land of just enough, but the promised land was the land of more than enough. And God wants his people and wants all of humanity to live in this place of more than enough, the destiny and inheritance that he has for us. I'm a bit old school in that I don't think you can lose your salvation if you're duly and genuinely saved, but I do think you can lose your inheritance 
I do think you cannot enter in and walk into your inheritance. And the children of Israel, the ones that were originally um, freed from slavery, they didn't seize, take hold. That's all the words that Moses and Joshua told them. It was active verbs. It was seize, take hold, lay hold of your inheritance. And they didn't, that generation. And so this would have been a great psalm to think about that. And so there's almost in that, I don't know if you noticed, if we were to read it again, maybe you will tonight, you'll see in the first half of the psalm, there's almost like a sense of exasperation and resignation about it. Like what really is the point, God? We get 70 or 80 years, usually we go out with a bit of a moan, like it's just a whimper that we leave this earth with, you know what I mean? We're nothing really in sight, uh, in light of you. When we think about your bigness and your awesomeness, we can never really live up to that. What's really the point of those 70 or 80 years? And the way that the psalmist here, Moses, he, he, um, he, he compares God's bigness to his fragility and God's holiness to his sin and God's everlasting nature to his fleeting is through the theme of time. There's a lot about the theme of time in this. In the first few scriptures, you might see them on the screen, it talks about God being from everlasting to everlasting, that God has been there throughout all generations, right? So Moses is wanting us to get an understanding of how big God is. And then, and then he says that um, one, and the next, next slide I think it'll say that a thousand years to God is like just one of ours. So what is happening here is Moses is comparing the everlasting nature of God to our 70 or 80 years. Because then, then he says, I think in the, the next slide it says we only get 70 to 80 years. And God is from everlasting to everlasting. So there's God who's there before the first mountain was ever put on the earth. And we'll be there at the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, it says in other parts of Scripture. And then there's us with the 70 or 80 years. And, and Moses is kind of asking the question, what's the point? Like, what is, what is it all about anyway? We have only so long in the earth, and it's tough, and it's full of pain, and there's sorrow in it, and then we die. <laughs> We're going to return to the dust. What's it, what's it all for? And the psalm is a sober reminder, I think, to us, and particularly to us as men, of the shortness of our time on earth. It's a bit of a reality check, isn't it, in our time-precious culture where time is a commodity. Probably even to get here today, it felt like a fight because time is such a precious commodity and yet here we're faced with the kind of sober, stark reality that you don't really get that long anyway. And the Bible and this psalm confronts us with the sort of day-to-day kind of what can sometimes feel like harsh reality of the shortness of life on earth. And you see, the Bible, and this, this psalm is indicative of the Bible. It never really pulls the wool over your eyes. It's not a superficial self-help book. It doesn't, it's not supposed to just like soothe, soothe you and put you to sleep in a night. It, it kind of wants to help you understand life and engage with life and all its pain and all its sorrow. The Bible speaks to the reality of life. It enters into all our brokenness and all our pain and all our sorrow But at the same time, it is a book of hope, of indestructible hope, of hope beyond um, this life and above this life, which cannot be defeated or snuffed out. I love this quote of Jürgen Moltmann. It's on the screen. And this has meant a lot to me throughout my life. Genuine hope is not blind optimism. It's hope with open eyes, which sees the suffering and yet believes in the future. The Psalms, maybe more than anything, 
show us or any other part of Scripture, arguably, show us this genuine hope. It's not like this, just everything's going to be okay. It enters into the fullness of life. It seizes suffering. It engages with the shortness of life and all the questions that we have in it. And yet, it speaks of irreducible hope. I don't know why this came into my head as I was coming in here today, but this is my home church, even though we've planted into another church. But most of my adult life has been spent here. I've dedicated my kids right here at the front of this. And the coffin of my first wife has been at the front of this church as well. And yet I carry the genuine hope that comes from the scriptures of a God who meets me in all the highs and lows in life and points me to something beyond. This is what the scriptures do. This is what in a face and in a world and in a culture that's just full of superficial stuff that just sits as a veneer that tries to tickle us and make us feel good about ourselves or just kind of get us through the next day or stroke our egos a little bit and all of that. The Bible calls us into the reality of life, the shortness of life on earth. But yet as we're going to see the meaning that we can find on this life right now, not just for this world, but for the one to come. That's what the Bible is all about. We may get 70, 80, you might get 90 years. I'm not sure. I'm 42 now, and life is going faster than I can ever have imagined it. I'm, I'm doing proper middle-aged things now. Like I can't wait to get my bins out on a Friday morning. And if I don't get them out, if I miss it, it's like tragic. It's like the end of the world. If I wash my car most Saturdays, right? Um, you know, I, I'm, this, is, this is a big cost being here today because I don't get the worst for car, you know? It's like, it's like I, I start, I'm starting to use phrases with my kids about when I was young, right? That, that's all happening. It's scary, isn't it, how life goes so fast? I was thinking the other day, it'll be no time until I'm 50. Like, that's only eight years away, right? And I know some of you who are older thinking, you haven't a clue how fast it's all going. I don't, right? But I know what's scaring the life out of me is it's not even the fact that I'm going to be 50 in eight years. and I can't believe that. It's the fact that when I'm 50, and that will go really quickly, my daughter will be 18. And I'm like, she's going to be like driving. We're going to need like proper angels, right? <laughs> On the road, all of that kind of stuff. Like it, it's, it's, hit me, it's hitting me at the moment in life just how quickly it goes and how fast things move and how in a blink of the eye it feels like we're being sobered by how quickly time is moving. And, what, and so in the midst of all of these questions, and then my dad's here today, my Uncle Phil's here today, we're, we're here and I'm thinking like in 5, 10, 15 years, you know what I mean, these people have been so important in my life, will they still be here? You know, and, and I'm dealing with the emotion of that and I'm trying to think all of that kind of stuff through and it's... it's it's like all of those questions start to come at life, don't you? And we've got so, we've got, we've got so long, it's not that long, on, on this world and in this world. Teach us to number our days, that we may have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Don't deny it. The world sends all these things to us that act as some kind of narcotic to get us through, like a sedative just to get us through, to prevent us from actually having to face reality. That one day we will die. <laughs> I know this is really encouraging, isn't it? Right? <laughs> this is what the Bible does. It leads us to these places where we ask these questions so that we may gain a heart of wisdom for the time that we have on this earth. 
what hope do we face? What hope do we have in the face of all these questions? In the face of all of this first 15 minutes of what almost can feel like depressing from the preacher up at the front here. What hope do we have? Teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. This is where the hope starts. It's like at this verse, it's like the psalm pivots. It pivots from like a lament, which is that the psalms are full of questions, grief, pain, curiosity, disappointment. And then it pivots a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's like, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. All of a sudden, you feel that Moses is maybe beginning to realize that there is hope that maybe our lives can have meaning. That maybe with the amount of time that we have got left on this earth, we can give it everything we've got and we can find a gladness and a joy beyond what we could ever realize. This is where Moses starts to plead to God for meaning in his life. It's a shame, you see, that this psalm and others like it are only read at funerals. You know, have you ever been at one where it's like, you know, God has told us to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You can understand why people do that and probably don't myself. But you don't need wisdom when you're dead. You don't, you don't, you don't number your days when you're dead. That doesn't make sense. You don't, you don't need insight. You don't need perspective. You don't need meaning when you're dead. You're dead. Teach us to number our days. You know, there's almost like, we don't, we don't want to do that. Like, you know, that's why I didn't tell you why we were doing it, right? Just, we don't want to do that exercise. Sure, we don't. There's something, and we can understand that because there's something about the finality of the end that none of us, if we're being honest, probably ever really want to fully face. But the reality is, that's what the Bible leads us into, to think about numbering our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom, so that we can know that in the life that we have, which we've one shot at, that we can give our lives to Jesus and that the stuff that has gone in the past that we're not that proud of or we regret or we feel shame of, that somehow in the cross of Jesus it's been finished, it's been dealt with, it's been done and it's being redeemed for the good purposes of God in this life and for the one to come. And so we can take hold and seize the days that we have left so we can develop deep wisdom. Because then, if you noticed in your own reading of it, then God, a Moses, sorry, he starts to realize that if his line so if his life can come into line with the eternal purposes of God, right, from everlasting to everlasting, the God who's been there at the beginning, the God who's been there at the end, he starts to realize if he can get his life in line with the eternal and sovereign purposes of God, then maybe his life can start to find meaning. And so he starts to ask for God to satisfy him with his unfailing love. He starts to ask that he may have that love so he could sing for joy and be glad all his days. Who would like that? Who would like to be glad all their days? Right? Like, I mean, like, that's not like happy, superficial, clappy stuff like Liverpool win the day would be. Yeah. It's more than that, right? Or, or whatever else you're into. It's like gladness. You know that deep, like, gladness in your heart when you sit down in your chair at the night after a day's work? And it doesn't matter whether it's been a good day or a bad day, but just something deep in your spirit is like, you know what? I can be deeply glad because Jesus is in my heart and I have numbered my days and I'm living them for the glory of God. And have got purpose and meaning for them. Moses had a sense that God could rescue him. After all of this lamenting, he had a sense that God could rescue him from a life of futility and a life of meaninglessness. And so if we number our days in the light of God's presence as brothers together, and we have a bit of fun with it, but we put those numbers, whatever it was for you, 
and we put them before the Lord in the light of his presence, we can escape from falling into the trap of thinking that we're just punching our days in. And we can also escape from the trap, on the other hand, of the seduction of planting our hopes in stuff that doesn't really mean anything. As Billy Graham once said, you don't see many tow bars, sorry, you don't see many hearses with a tow bar in the back. Yeah. You can't bring it with us. You can't bring some of the stuff that we invest our lives in. And so it's only in light of God's bigger story that when we number our days that our lives can find meaning. This is probably one of my most favorite quotes. It's from a guy called Alistair McIntyre. And he says this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do? If I can answer the prior question of what story am I part? I can only answer the question, what am I to do? If I first answer the question of what story or stories do I find myself part of? Often we start with the wrong question. Often we're trying to think about what can I do better and what have I not been doing well and what can I do? Before first of all surrendering our lives to the great story that each and every one of us have a part to play in. And it's the story of salvation history that's been from the beginning of creation right through all of the world. That these guys, Moses and Abraham and some of our heroes of faith, like ordinary, regular Jews, who, you know, the Bible says are in paradise. They, they haven't actually fully entered in to the fullness of all that they will someday enter into. Because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that God is holding that for us, for not just for us, but for all of the earth. So that when Jesus comes back, we will all enter into the new world together. So each and every one of us have a part to play in this story. But the problem is if we're only living our own little drama, if we're only building our own little kingdom, if we're so wrapped up in our own little story, then we never fully understand the wisdom that's needed in numbering our days because we're just punching them in or else we're giving them to the wrong things. Is your life a version of Coronation Street or is it the eternal story of God? Are we caught up in our own little dramas, building our own little kingdoms, the center of our own attention? Or, because if we are, we just end up, we will end up, we, we might be in delusionary world for a while, but we will end up asking the same question that Moses asked. From the dust, return to the dust. Is that what it was all about? Is that what it was all for? Are we living in a story that's defined by how much money we make? Are we living in our own story, which is how much we can build our pension fund up to see us through? Are we living in a story that's dictated by how we did in comparison to everybody else? Are we living our lives that's dictated by the story of the next best holiday we can have or the, big, the bigger house we can get or the, the better car that we can afford? None of those things, are, there's anything wrong with in and of themselves. But if they dictate the theme of the story of your life, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But what if we could face the future with realism? <laughs> the end is going to come, but with the hope that the end is not the end. Yeah, that's the tension of what it is to live in this world. What if we found our lives in a story bigger and beyond anything we could ever imagine? 
my friend uh, Mark Sayers, he says this. This is a longer quote. Let me read it to you. In a confused and contradictory world, the grand theme of Scripture offers a coherent worldview. Instead of the choppy narrative of the single-person play, that's just living your own story, the gospel invites us into God's great story, of which our singular part contributes to the great mosaic of salvation beauty, in which we are invited to partner with the Creator Himself in the redemption of the world and the marriage of heaven and earth. This story, even whispered between people on a suburban train, is grander and more resonant than the biggest budget Hollywood blockbuster or the cleverest viral marketing campaign. This is the story that you have a part to play in. This is the story that you're being invited into. This is the story that maybe you have heard about, but you've, you've heard about salvation, which is obviously really, really important, and the need of that, but almost in a narrow way that it's all just to do with eternity. And Obviously, that's a major part of it, but salvation is just the entry point into giving your life for your original design, which was to partner with God in his dream for the world to fill it all with himself and for you to make your own unique contribution to that. That's what the Lord is calling us to be and to do. And so Moses finishes then with these words. He says, next, la- next, next slide, may the favor of our Lord rest upon us and establish the work of our hands establish the work of our hands? What if we could be so confident that our lives are surrendered to God's great story and whatever we find ourselves doing in day to day, what if we could be so confident it's right in the middle of God's will that we could get up in the morning and go, God, may the beauty or the loveliness, some translations say, may the beauty of the Lord shine upon us and establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. So whether the work of your hands is preaching the gospel or laying bricks, whether the work of your hands is drawing pictures with your kids or clapping kids of the football team that you help coach, what if the work of your hands is either carpentry or accountancy? What if you just knew that wherever God has you, that's where you're supposed to be so that when you get up in the morning as you number your days and you think that this is another one which is a gift and of which the mercies of God are new again that day and every morning you get up and you say, you know what, this is another day that I have been gifted and I want a heart of wisdom so that the Lord may establish the work of my hands. It's in the light of God's presence and the beauty and favor of God's presence that we number our days and he establishes the work of our hands. But it's, it's going to take us, it's going to take us to come to the end of ourselves. In numbering your days, you, you kind of have to die to some of your own ambition. And that's kind of what Jesus always asked you to do anyway. But Jesus said when you do that, when you give up your life, then you truly find it. This verse on the screen as well. For whoever wants to save their life, words of Jesus, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You know, again, we just relate this passage to, the, to eternity. But how many men do you know, and maybe in your own heart, that have lost their soul? How many men do you know today around you that aren't living from their soul. They're living their own story or they're living a projection of what everybody else thinks their story should be. They're living up to a whole set of expectations 
that either somebody has placed upon them or they have placed upon themselves. And they're not living for their souls. They haven't fully lost themselves in order to fully find life. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's only when we come to an end of ourselves. It's only when we give up our own kingdoms can we truly live. It's only when we realize that Jesus died so we didn't have to physically die. Because he took our sin, our shame, everything that we feel we've messed up, everything that's been corrupted, perverted, and twisted within us because of sin, bored on his own body on the cross, carried the shame of it in himself, so that when we accept that work, we can receive as gift his life in us. But we can only fully receive that life in us when we die to our own ambitions, when we die to our own vain glory, when we surrender our own egos, when we give up our own independence, when we stop trying to be in control. Because there needs to be deep within us a posture of relinquishment so that we can realize our times in another psalm are in his hands, not our own. Teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And as I kind of try to finish this off before we respond to the Lord, it's interesting that Moses wrote this psalm, I think, because when you know a little bit of Moses' story, you realize he lived his own story. I'm not going to take time to read it, but just to paraphrase it really quickly, some of you will know that Moses lived pretty much the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's court. Didn't really fully know who he was probably because his mom came and told him stories about being a Hebrew, conflicted in his personality, but yet was surrounded by greatness, surrounded by vain glory, surrounded by ambition. Then something happened that changed all that. Because here's the thing, something usually happens in life, doesn't it? You get to a point where something will happen. Maybe of your own doing. Maybe of someone else's doing to you. Maybe you just lose somebody that you really love. Something will happen. Something happened for Moses. He messed up. He, uh, he murdered the Egyptian who had previously beaten a Hebrew. And for the next 40 years of his life, he's, he's kind of like walking around the backside of the Sinai Peninsula as a shepherd with a few lowly sheep. We talk about Moses, the great leader. At that time of his life, the only thing that he was leading was a few sheep. And 40 years living a sort of second best kind of life, used to no greatness, not sure where the second half of his life is going, gets to this point where the first half of this psalm that we read in Psalm 90 was probably all, you know, even as he thought about his own life, what is this all about, God? 70 or 80 years, he's 80, he's 80 at this point. But God hadn't finished with him. Because you see, God hadn't finished with Moses, but God hadn't finished with the world either. And God hadn't finished with his promises, which originally he gave to Abram. And God hadn't finished with the people who would be Abram's descendants through whom he wanted to reach the whole world, because that's always been God's idea, to fill it all with himself. And that's where we're heading, by the way. That's how this story finishes. The glory of the Lord covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. Because God has always wanted to fill it with himself. And so God hadn't forgotten about that. 
And do you know what it says? It says that God appeared to Moses, which I'll get to in a moment, and it says, but he says he heard the cries of the slaves going up before him. I have heard the cries. I have heard the cries. <laughs> All the other gods don't hear the cries of the poor and the down and outs. They just reward the rich and the wealthy and the kings and the queens. But Yahweh had heard the cries of the people that had gone up before him and they have heard their sorrow. And he says, and so I will come down to deliver them. And, uh, and so Moses has to hear this. But who's God going to pick? <laughs> now, who's God going to pick to do this work? Who's gonna, God going to pick to go before the principality and power of that day, Pharaoh, and eyeball them and say, let the people of God go? You see, we would want like the James Bond type to do that, wouldn't we? We would want the Harrison Ford kind of raiders of the lost ark, you know? Kind of, you just want to see Moses kind of rolling in under that thing as it comes down in Pharaoh's court, you know, going up, standing before him, eyeballing him, you know, like, you know, sticking out his chest, doing the macho thing. And who does God choose? A regular Joe. A shepherd. He thinks the best part of the second half of his life has been meaningless. But Moses divested of himself. Moses, having given up, was best qualified now to be used by God. Emptied of his own giftedness. Emptied of his own impressiveness. He was now ready to be used by God. And the assignment of his life is going to be released. And God calls up, shows up in a burning bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. You see, there was nothing unusual about a burning bush in the desert. Bushes go and fire in the desert all the time. Why? Because it's hot, right? The thing about this one that was unique, this great sight, Moses says that I will turn aside and see it was on fire, but it wasn't being destroyed. And so Moses says, I will turn aside, and then he hears the words, Moses, Moses. See, everything changes when the God of the heavens and the earth says your personal name, Moses, Moses. This is a moment, Moses. This is a moment that's different than any other moment that you've had in your life. This is a moment. This is holy ground. Take your shoes off. And he takes his shoes off and God starts to speak to him. There's a new assignment about to come upon your life. There's a new power that's just about to come upon your life. You're going to be like this fire, or sorry, like this bush, Moses. You're going to be set on fire, but you're not going to be destroyed. You're going to have to become like this bush. And to receive this, he says, Moses, you're going to have to lay everything down. And so he asks Moses to lay down his rod, and he lays down his rod. Now, his rod represented, because he was a shepherd, his income, his identity, and his influence. And God says, will you lay it down? And Moses lays down the rod. And as he lays down the rod, he lays down his income, his identity, and his influence. And God says, okay, now you can pick it up again. And when he picks it up, it becomes used in a way that we, he or we could never have imagined it being used. That's the staff that's used as they cross the Red Sea. That's the staff that's used for the miracles in 
the wilderness. That's the staff that becomes known in many other further references, not as Moses' rod, but mostly as the rod of the Lord. And so Moses, aware of his inadequacy, still aware of his inadequacy, still keeps saying, God, who am I? And God keeps saying, I am. And this is the moment where God reveals his name. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. <laughs> Link Exodus chapter 3, where God reveals that name, Yahweh, to Psalm chapter 90. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And every inadequacy you feel will be filled with my greatness if you let it. And so I think what is happening from that particular point in Moses' life, everything changes. And I just sense as I finish this today, maybe Wes and the guys would come and just get ready just to finish us off here with a song or so before we go for lunch. But I just really feel like as we, as those guys come, just, I just want you to lock in your heart and your spirit for a moment because I feel like for some of you today, it is a moment. It is a burning bush moment. I feel like for some of you, God wants to God wants to set you on fire. God wants you to be like that bush. God wants to come upon you in a way that divested of everything else, the fire of his spark can burn in you so that every day that you live from this moment on will become one that's full of the meaning and purpose that he has for your life and that you will receive a fresh anointing of his spirit to fulfill the assignments that he has in your life. But as you face the end of yourself today, and so that exercise of numbering your days, in a sense, it's recognizing what you've got left. And potentially, if you feel that this is the Lord speaking to you today and you need to respond and be obedient to that, this is a moment to, to mark that and say, God, I want to die to the parts of myself that want to live for myself. I'm tired of trying to live my own story. I'm tired of trying to build my own kingdom or the kingdom that everybody else wants me to make. I just sense that, as I say that today, that there's some of us that you actually really want to live for God, but it's been hard because you feel like you're trying to fulfill the expectations of other people. And I just feel like the Lord wants you to, to, to know today, if you, if you come to him, if you surrender to him, if you stop trying to control it all yourself, then he'll, he'll sort that out for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added on to you. There's an assignment coming upon your life because in case you haven't noticed, we're living in a really unique time. And here's what I want you to hear as well. We're in here today and some of us feel like those slaves in Egypt and God wants to free you and God wants you to know that there's a deliverer here for you today. But connected to that, out there today, we're living in a moment of unprecedented, not just viruses and pandemics, but brokenness. People are literally thinking about whether to end their lives today or not. The amount of poverty that we're about to see unleashed in our communities, the amount of mental health torment. And here's what I want us to hear today. God is hearing 
the cries of those people. And God is looking to find men who will have their own burning bush moment, who will say, listen, the world has come to an end to of itself in many ways. It will, it will keep trying to do its thing. But you, you remember, just hear, hear me in this before we respond. You remember after the 10 plagues in this story, Pharaoh's like, after the last one, he's like, right, you can go now. Because darkness came to an end of itself. If we look at our world today, the culture is eating itself up. It can't fix itself anymore. It needs, we're in the miracle territory. Because only God can help us. Only God and his mercy, only a move of the Spirit of God can get us out of where we are at the moment. And in order to do that, we don't need just men who will cry out to God for that. We need that. But as well as that, what we need is men who have their own burning bush experience. Men who God calls with a fresh assignment to say, I have heard the cries of those who are broken and destitute in your own communities. Right now, I'm hearing those cries. And what I'm looking for is men who will have their own moment, who will lay their lives down, who will go and stand before the principalities and powers, who will look in the eye of the devil, who will stir into darkness itself and say, let the people of God go. The people who will look at darkness straight in the eye and not get distracted on social media and not get distracted with all the nonsense that many Christians are getting far too distracted about. People are dying because of a lack of hope and it needs men who will be filled with the fire of God and will go and stand before the pharaohs of this day and say, let the people go. This is a moment to get the slaves out. This is a moment to get the lost one. This is a moment to create the family of God that the broken can come home and find a place at the table and the love of Jesus and be brought from Egypt into the promised land. But it takes men who have come to the point in their life where they have said to God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom, that everything I've got left is for you and for your glory. Fill me with the fire of your presence as I lay my own life down before you. And so if you want that today, I just want you to stand because I want to pray for you. So just in these moments, just take a moment. Holy Spirit, in these moments, I ask you to come now. Stir up your, stir up the men of this room, God. Stir up the people of this room, God. Thank you that you're moving in your church, God. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit, maybe a little bit weird for some of you, but I, I know it's difficult these days to lay hands and stuff as much as we'd like to, but I feel like God wants people to respond. And so we, we have a bit of space here. And if you feel like God wants you to respond to this today, I'd love you just to stand in one of the aisles or stand here at the front. Would you do that? So if you feel like the Lord's speaking to you and you're just saying, God, I want to respond and I want to receive something of the fire of your presence today. Would you, would you just, well, let's just begin to move now if you feel the Lord calling you to respond. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon us afresh. plenty of room up at the front here as well if you want to if you want to move a little bit be great Jesus come Holy Spirit going to ask everyone to stand in a moment but just if you feel very personally that you need to respond to this right now I want to, I want to ask you to do that
Ephesians chapter 5, Paul calls the church, redeem the time, redeem the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If you're, um, if you're comfortable, you don't have to do this, but if you're comfortable to receive from the Lord, you just want to even hold your hands out just as a way of receiving from the Lord as I pray. Just feel free to do that now. Come Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just pray right now in this room that you would begin to fill this place with your presence. Thank you that you're already here. But we just ask you to increase your presence right now, God. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now in this room, Lord, to, as people respond, do you speak to them, Lord? Lord, as each one of us, Lord, encounter you afresh in our own burning bush moment, I ask right now, God, that you would start to burn in them, Lord. As they lay down, would you start to fill? As they empty themselves, God, would you start to fill? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just increase the sense of your presence now, Jesus, in this world. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. We really hope and pray that God's Word has spoken to your heart and that His Holy Spirit has empowered you to go out and be an effective man, that people would look at you and really take note that you've been with Jesus. If we can help you or your church in any way in engaging and in reaching men, both inside and outside the church, this is a huge need in our time and in our world at this moment. Please go onto our website, rumble.vision, and send us an email, reach out to us. We would love to get a coffee and to talk to you about some of the things that we have that can help you at a local level. But we do hope that you can join us again soon for our next episode. Be blessed and we'll see you again soon.